Good morning. Good to see everyone here today, and we're glad that you're online with us. Um, today we're starting a new series, and this new series is I Love Jesus But Hate, and we kind of leave the hate part open. What is it that people hate? And uh, there'll be a couple different things that we start and then we talk about. The idea behind this series is to help us as Christians look at those aspects of our lives that maybe we could fine-tune a little bit or, or, or clean up a little bit so that way whenever we're approaching somebody or meeting somebody that's uh, not a believer, that as we share the kingdom of God, they'll understand a little bit better and they'll trust us a little bit better. It also is to help anybody that's watching or that's present today uh, that isn't a believer to understand a little bit more about the church, why we do things and why, why, we, why we act certain ways and, and certain aspects of church life that aren't necessarily as very obvious to those of us that show up on a routinely basis. So as, as we start pulling apart Scripture over the next four weeks and, and looking at this, these ideas, we're going to talk about things like eternity. Maybe we'll talk about how long is it, right? Maybe we'll talk about salvation. Thanks, Jen. I, you got the joke. Uh, maybe we'll talk about salvation and, and how do you get it? How do you get salvation? Oh, they're all slow today. And we'll talk a little bit, like today we're going to talk a little bit about hypocrisy and, and the dangers of hypocrisy and possibly how, how do we stop that from happening in our own lives because it happens. It happens. We're not perfect beings and that's why we're working towards heaven and working towards God's kingdom. And that's why we come together and that's why we study. So we'll be looking at reasons why people who, who tell you they love Jesus, but they, they really struggle with the church. And we're, and we're going to talk about that idea and, and why they struggle with the church and how we as the church can help them through that. So let's start today with one area that people have consistently expressed as, as a reason for disliking the church. Okay, and, and it, it has to do with hypocrisy a little bit, so bear with me. It's the way that we present doctrine or belief. People struggle with the way that we teach doctrine or belief. Now, I, this is not just a preacher problem. It's not just a teacher problem because at some point in our lives, we're all called to this great commission to share the gospel. And at some point in our lives, we have to share that message with somebody. And when that happens, we become the preacher or we become the teacher. And, and it's, so it's not just, it doesn't just come from the pulpit, it's other places as well. And the complaint is that it's not the teaching, it's the posture. It's the posture of humility or lack thereof of humility and grace that we approach it with. It's, it's this idea that sometimes when we come and we start to teach people that we're, we're kind of proud of who we are and, 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 and we get kind of haughty. The idea is that sometimes when we communicate the message of salvation, it comes off as arrogance. So, as Christians, we don't want to do that. And in fact, Paul, in our writing that we're going to read today, Paul's writing to Timothy about this very issue. And, and he's saying, while it's important not to compromise truth, it's also important to focus on love. And that the issue is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith is how we have to approach teaching. So if you brought your Bibles, we're going to look at 1 Timothy chapter 1. <clears throat> 1 Timothy chapter 1, and we're just going to kind of be in verses 3 through 7. 
So starting in verse 3 of 1 Timothy, Timothy chapter 1, as I urge you when I was going to Macedonia, remain at Ephesus so that you may, cha- you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine, nor to devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies, which promote speculation rather than the stewardship from God that is by faith. The aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a, good conscience and a sincere faith. Certain persons, by swearing, swer, swerving from these, have wandered away into vain discussion, desiring to be teachers of the law without understanding either what they are saying or the things about which they make confident assertions. In this particular passage, there, there's a situation that calls for Paul to instruct Timothy in the areas of false teaching. Okay, so there's this false teaching that had infiltrated the church at the time, and Paul's instructing Timothy how to deal with that. He, he not only refutes the information, but he highlights what the results of the false teaching look like. Whereas false teachings created discord and division, True teachings should lead to a distinctly Christian type of loving environment. The context here suggests that the mutual love in the church leads to a peaceful and harmonious atmosphere. In its, in, in the, so the word here that Paul is using is the word agape. And we've studied the word agape in this church several times. And, and for those that don't know the word agape, it, it means love. And it shows up like nine other times in these pastoral epistles that, that Paul writes, and it's almost always exclusively with the word pistis. And the word pistis means faith. Paul almost always puts love, unless he's putting in a list of items, that, of, of things that people, of qualities people should have, it's almost always listed with faith. In, in 2 Timothy Paul links this whole idea of love and faith to the indwelling of the Holy Spirit into the heart of the person. And this is part of our authentication as Christians as we live a Christian life of faith. It's this love that comes out of who, not just who we are, but of who God has made us to be, this indwelling of the Holy Spirit. So one of the reasons Paul finds it to be ultimately loving to correct false teaching is because the false teaching is leading people, primarily in this context, the teachers, away from their faith. So he thinks that this is out of love, that we correct these people and bring them back, redirect them back onto the path that God had set them about, to put them back into true belief about God. Now, as a result of them falling off and and going this other direction, they've kind of missed the point of what has been happening and they forget one of the most important of Christian virtues. They wander away into vain discussions. And the Greek word here that they're using for wander away, I don't remember the exact term, but I know what it means. It means it's the term used in Greek philosophy 200 years before Christ shows up. And it's used to talk about how one turns away from something that is beneficial to something that is less desirable. So it's not just that they turn their back on something, but they've gone from something that was good to something that wasn't worth it. This, this notion of turning away from the faith has a lot of different ideas here, but the wandering away 
you could also express it like this, like they got enmeshed in something that they shouldn't have or they got entangled or like I would say where I'm from, that you got bogged down in something. You get bogged down in the minutia, the details of something that just doesn't need to be there. Vain discussion, on the other hand, as the term translates also back in the Greek writings, second century before Christ, the, the term is used in, in, in two words. It's two words that means one thing. And it means vain, useless, of no value. And it's frequently found in the New Testament writings when we describe the worship of idols or undesirable conduct. Paul does not want Christians to fall into these types of discussions, these discussions of of vain repetition, things that don't matter, things that have little profit for the kingdom. And let's face it, these kind of conversations, we fall into these conversations from time to time, and these kind of conversations add to the idea that we started with, the idea that sometimes we as Christians sound haughty or puffed up. We're, we're puffed up and prideful about our own understanding of who God is. And other people that ne- don't necessarily know who God is see these conversations as arrogant and annoying. They can be damaging, these kind of conversations, because they can lead people down the wrong path and to understand things in the wrong way. We can get caught up in the minute details of how something needs to be done or how we like to have something done, and that's not really about salvation. And then it becomes hypocritical, and people reflect on it, and they think that we're hypocrites. So I've tried to think of a good example of hypocrisy for us in this modern day, and I got kind of stuck, and I get in trouble for this. The Tuesday morning guys let me know all the time. I get stuck on the Marvel movies. Of course, of course the, the, guys, the, the guys on Tuesday morning think they're DC Comics, but that's okay. I get stuck in the, Mar- in the Marvel movies, but they have a lot of illustrations of this kind of thing, of a lot of things that deal with religion. And, and in the movie uh, Thor, Ragnarok, if, you, if you'll rem- remember, the ways that, um, that, that, decept- that deceptive teaching produced the consequences of hypocrisy are on full display in that movie. If you think about it, Odin, the father of Thor right, the king of Asgard, he's always presented as this good king that helps the people, and he's, he's helping them and, and giving a better life to the kingdom. He gets exposed in that, in that movie, though. He gets exposed as his prior self, his younger self, if you will, where he wiped out entire civilizations just to claim their lands and their riches. And, and it shows this that how this kind of shaped Thor's sister, which I don't think Thor even knew he had, but it shapes Thor's sister, Hela, right? And she becomes this bloodthirsty person. She's bent on ruling Asgard, and she's going to rule it with an iron thumb, and she doesn't care about the people who live in Asgard. All she cares about is that they will follow her orders, or they will die. Well, this does not excuse her actions. She she sees all this from her father Odin, right? And it becomes the hypocrisy. And and while it doesn't excuse her actions, it still helps to produce or at least catalyze her dissent and a more extreme expression of evil. Now, in, in our own lives, we have to be mindful because we have people that are watching us. Some of these people are younger people around us. Some of these people are people that don't necessarily practice 
what we practice or don't believe what we believe. And they're constantly looking up to us and, and, and they're testing our beliefs, even though we may not know it. When we teach them with hypocrisy in our hearts instead of humility, they're taken back because even they know that it's wrong. They may never have read Paul's statements, but they know it's wrong. It turns, that, it turns people away from what God wants. It turns them towards something that he doesn't. And this is what Paul is worried about in this section of Scripture as he writes to Timothy and he writes to us today. The reason that Paul intertwines conduct and teaching so tightly is because he understood that without a credible witness to the truth, it's often discredited. Without a credible witness to the truth, the truth is often discredited. This, of course, does not require moral perfection on our part, but it does require a humble posture that's reflective of our own personal relationship with God. How many of you know Dabo Sweeney? I'm sure I'll get in trouble for this. I like Dabo Sweeney. And one of the reasons I like Dabo Sweeney is because he's beat Alabama twice in the national championship. But when he gets interviewed immediately after the football game, they ask him, what do you attribute your win to? And Dabo has the same response. Every time he goes, first and foremost, I'd like to thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Because he put me in a place where I could be a part of this. And second, it's the coaching staff, the staff here at the school. It's all the players that put in all that extra hard work to be here. That's a humble attitude. And I like that attitude. Now, how many of you know who Hugh Freeze is? Hugh Freeze was the coach at Ole Miss. He had a little different attitude. He was a Christian too, but he would go out of his way to force his players to go to church, to show up to worship regularly, and he made it a big deal that he was a Christian all the time. Unfortunately, one day that caught up to him. What made his transgression so vile when he fell from grace was the court of public opinion. He created this image, and this image had been shattered. He unapologetically invited his players to Sunday worship, and he, he was heralded as a hero by many Southern believers. Now, a Christian football coach in the South is not unheard of. That's just not unheard of but a coach bold enough to speak about his Christian faith, particularly in Mississippi, in part of the Bible Belt, they look untouchable. And in the, mind, in, the, in the public's eye, they become something more than they really are. People assume and they expect much more from Christians, and in particular from Christians that are really vocal. They expect good character, good morality, good integrity, sacrifice, service in the communities. These are admirable and good assumptions. However, Mr. Freeze's debacle fell drastically short of all these areas. In the days that followed the discovery of his immoral and dishonorable behavior, sports analysts called Freeze a hypocrite, a fraud, and a phony. It destroyed his image, but it also destroyed the image of God in the eyes of a lot of young people. A lot of young people that looked up to him. 
and that becomes an issue. Even in the midst of correcting opposing views, Paul tells us we must remain humble. We must prostrate ourselves as being humble. Whether it is evangelism or public discourse or the way in which we present truth or something as seemingly small as trying to correct somebody's statement on Facebook or some other social media. It's important to always approach people with the gospel itself. Not just seeking to create certain morals or certain things that they've said. Don't proof text someone's life. I promise you it's not appreciated. It's not needed. And it's not what Jesus would do. Now this doesn't mean that we compromise belief. Truth is truth and we don't compromise belief. But rather than approach somebody in a way where we're proud of our belief, if we approach them in humility and humbly and godly rather than prideful and divisive, we can do a lot more for the kingdom of God. An approach that focuses on serving God's plan for that person instead of trying to serve our own desires is what we're looking for. Will you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, we thank You for the examples in our lives. We thank You for those people that have taught us about humility. Those that were humble. And Lord, we just ask that You help us to understand that more. And be conscious of that in our own lives, in our own dealings. We don't want to be prideful. And that all starts with us having that personal relationship with You. Lord, just remind us that you are the one that's in charge. You are the one that, that has set this into play and that it's your kingdom that's coming, not our kingdom. It may not be the way we like it. It's going to be the way you like it. Help us to remember that. Help us to reach out to those who haven't heard your message. They haven't heard about your son. Help us to have that, that heart of love, that's closely tied to our faith and share that love and that faith with those that we come in contact with so that they will understand who you are and that they won't have questions in their mind anymore like, I love Jesus, but hate something of the church. They'll understand the church is a group of people that are trying to learn how to love you more deeply. It's through your son that we come to you in prayer. Amen. We're going to turn it over to Brad here in just a minute to lead us into communion. But before I, I leave, I want to encourage each and every one of you this week to please look into your own hearts and find a way to be humble about your beliefs and share those beliefs with others. And if you can think of somebody who might benefit from this lesson or somebody who might be interested in this lesson, please share that with them. And if you have questions or you have a friend that has questions or whatever, please feel free to contact Nathan or I. We're sitting around our houses most of the time just goofing off. So, Not Nathan. Not Nathan. He's busy playing games with the youth. Please feel free to email us, call us, or text us. And if you have questions, if you're watching online at a later date, reach out to us. Go to our website and you can find our emails. Email us. And we'd be happy to answer your questions and help you understand better the gospel that is so important.
Good morning.